Hey, thanks for tuning on back to the Catch My Drift podcast. It's your host, Matt Kelmis. Today with me, I've got my good buddy, Dave Holmes. Uh, I met Dave a long time ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe six years ago back, and he was a student at UWL in lacrosse. Since then, he's uh, traveled all over the Driftless area and even bunch north, and uh, not right now works as a metro area bass, muskie, and trout guide. Pretty excited to have him on today, and we're going to dive on into it. Well, Dave, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, Dave and I just spent the day um, fishing in his one of his boats at one of his top secret spots. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty great day. Um, we actually saw one muskie that would have shattered my personal best if we'd caught it. Yeah, man, that was a that was a giant. Yeah, a real see uh, those every day. It was a true specimen. Um, it was a good day. Pretty hot. Water was pretty low, but uh, I think Dave's got it dialed in enough just right just the right amount to, to capitalize on uh whatever mother nature throws at him um so i guess dave what do you say want to dive on into it here and we'll get some conversations flowing yeah let's do it all right so dave you started uh, well i guess kind of going back i i met you back when you were a student at uwl in lacrosse what were you studying back in the day yeah so i was a um a geography major with a concentration in environmental studies. Um, so that it's a super broad field. Um, and it can be anything from like DNR resource management kind of stuff to basically what I was doing, which is GIS and remote sensing. Okay. Um, so a lot of flying drones, stuff like that. Um, real fun work. A lot of to, mapping, a lot of mapping. Yep. Okay. You get to be out in the field a lot. Now, one of your, uh, I don't know, this is, this is in the latter half of your, your college career you went ended up going overseas yeah a little drone mapping yeah i got to got the opportunity to go to nepal um kind of right before covid hit which was a fortunate because that definitely wouldn't have happened otherwise Um, but yeah i got to go over there spent some time up in the himalayas um mapped a few glaciers spent some time in Kathmandu, and those were glaciers that had never been discovered before i mean mean, they obviously been discovered but not mapped before yeah the only the only villages around them were super, super tiny, high elevation um, native villages, which were the people were super kind and brought us in and helped us along the way. But um, definitely super remote um, stuff. People haven't mapped before. Nice. Yeah. Sounds uh, pretty extreme. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> Was it pretty cold out there? Real cold um, and real, real high in elevation. Um, I probably should have done more training for it, but... You know, fourteen thousand five hundred feet kind of kind of hurts with zero training. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pretty athletic dude, though. You ran all through uh, high school and into college, even though. So I, I, I assume, did, yeah. I'm sure that probably helped you more Definitely. than yeah, more than more than me just jumping up there. <laughs> <laughs> so right now you live. We're actually sitting at your place here in your on your porch. Out in St. Paul. Yep. You just moved up here earlier this summer. Yeah. How are you liking it so far? It's not bad. Um, you gotta learn to avoid traffic, but other yeah. than that, um, it kind of puts me in a pretty sweet position for a lot of water. So I agree. It's um, just driving up here from down in Winona, kind of where I live. Is it was beautiful driving. We, I mean, I drove past quite a bit of water. It, it really doesn't take long for you. You know, I grew up in the city, so I'm kind of familiar with this area. It really doesn't take long for you. I mean, you could be in pretty decent water within what 15 minutes 
Yeah, at the very most. There's some pretty sweet Smalley water that I keep to myself that's like six minutes away. Nice. Yep. And now you started, this year you started working as a guide. Yep. And you're guiding for, well, obviously yourself, um, living the dream guide service. Yep. And Bob Mitchell's fly shop. Exactly. So you, yep. Between those three, you're probably pretty busy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm staying pretty busy. How many yeah. days a week you think you, you guide? Um, you know, it's tough to say like exactly how many a week just cause you know, some weeks are super crazy and I got like 10 trips in seven days and other weeks it's a little bit slower and like three or four trips, but varies week to week. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. And like beginning of August is always, always a slow one. So yeah, we're coming right up on one of your favorite times of fish. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about your fishery, I guess we'll start with your fishery. Can you tell us about your fishery? your your favorite fishery that you like to guide on yeah so my kind of home water is the st croix river um it's just a, a massive fishery not quite as big as the mississippi but um just a really really big fishery very few dams on it there's only one actual dam um on it that that affects me at all um and there's just there's fish throughout the entire thing obviously some stretches are better than others but there's musky and smallmouth pretty much every inch of that river yep um, and those are your favorite fish to guide for yep yep that's kind of the two primaries the bread and butter bread and butter peanut butter and jelly <laughs> all of them yeah all right um we got out today and we caught we caught some smallmouth and had a pretty good encounter with one musky that was a, just a giant yeah that thing was that was a toad it was why why do you think she was there where, why do you think she was there where she was yeah so right now we're dealing with when we have been dealing the entire season with super low and super hot water um and most people will say that like hot water and musky you just shouldn't fish for them um, which is true to an extent you do need to be careful about where you're targeting um, but as soon as that water temp hits about 78 degrees i'm only going to be fishing springs and creek mouths sure areas where that water's cooler those fish are healthier um, and you can catch them, and as long as you handle them well, they'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so today, what do you mean handle them well. So like from the moment they, and it, it all comes down to so right when they eat, having the right gear to get them in the net fast. Yeah. Um, unhook them in the net, cut hooks, do whatever you got to do to get them, get the fly out of them fast. Um, take one quick picture, twenty seconds out of the water max, put them back. Yeah. So the idea is minimal stress on that fish. Exactly. Yeah. Without any oxygen. In summer like this, right now, at the end of August, we're kind of in a transitional phase where, kind of the tail end of summer coming up into the the front end of fall, mm -hmm. and that water is has not as much oxygen as it normally does. Exactly. Yep. So, so you want to get that fish back in fast. Yep. Minimal stress. Exactly. Yep. yep. And then water temp-wise, what we are doing today with how hot it's been is um, we, I think midday we hit like 77 and a half, yep. if I remember right. Yep. Um, so we were fishing those kind of transition zones to where like little pockets that the fish can sit in as they move up into those, into those really shallow creek mouths or spring seeps. Um, and that fish was right where she was supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, this time of year, you know, when the water temp is high and those creek mouths are dumping in. Will you find that fish will kind of conjugate around there? Will you find big time multiple yep. fish at that at those sites? Yeah, I think this year during during a really big heat spell, I think at one spring seep I counted twelve fish or something just stacked up. Wow. Um, 
most of the time they don't eat super well when they're doing that but yeah um every once in a while if you can find the right conditions you can have a pretty stellar day sure yeah you're a big believer on the moons huge believer moon guy that fish that fish today moved right at the end of a full moon major and yeah right where she was supposed to be i get it yeah i never paid too close of attention to it but i know you and our good buddy our good fishing buddy norm paid pretty close attention to it oh yeah you even go as far as you have an app on your phone oh yeah that app's always up (laughs) and you check it daily yep multiple times a day i suppose whatever helps yeah exactly those muskies can be pretty damn picky and uh yeah whatever if it if it helps you maybe even three percent that's three percent is a a big amount in the in the the eyes of a muskie so when a good day is based on on seeing a few right yeah yep exactly you gotta use what you can get get any little edge you can (laughs) exactly so this like i mentioned before this is your first year guiding how's it been going how are you liking it it's been going great. I'm loving it. Um, I had done a, a little bit of guiding the last two years while I was in college. Um, yep. Not much, but just a few trips here and there. Um, it's tough when you're in school. Yeah, not a lot of time, and I wanted to fish too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this season's been great. Um, met some really great people. Had um, a couple guys who really kind of kind of helped me along and helped me figure out a kind of some of the harder parts of it. Yep. Um, Luke Swanson with Living the Dream, and then Evan Griggs who's the head guide at Bob Mitchell's. Sure. Um, those guys have been hugely helpful. Yeah. Um, and I get to run a bunch of trips with them, and we have we have way too much fun after the trip anyway. Yeah. So it's a good time. Well, that's what it's all about is, you know, the camaraderie involved, and it's not all about, you know, getting out there and pounding a bunch of water and catching a bunch of fish, but just having fun along the way too. Exactly. Which that's one thing I've always appreciated about you and why, we've, you know, why we're such good fishing buddies is because we always just have a good time, with, yeah. you know, doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know whatever we're fishing for muskie is a tough fish to catch they call them the fish at 10,000 casts but sometimes if you're as good as dave it doesn't take you 10,000 casts to catch them but um having a good a good uh fishing fishing partner like dave and our buddy norm and those guys it's makes it easier oh, less, yeah. less grueling definitely less, less of a chore <laughs> yeah makes a makes a 12-hour day of not seeing a fish a little easier right yeah that's right so what um what have you learned so far in this in this year of guiding um boy what have i learned so far i would say the the biggest things i've learned are that most clients are real happy if they learn something sure um going into this season there was a part of me and i hadn't done enough guiding to really realize this but there was definitely a part of me that thought like if i don't get this client a 20 inch smallmouth, like i'm a i'm a horrible guide yep um and you gotta just keep in mind that it's fishing and some days just aren't it's just not gonna happen um and same way with muskie and and clients are great about that um, and they totally understand that and as long as you can teach them something show them a good time get them a few fish yep you did your job yeah i think anybody who signs up for muskie fishing is a little bit of a glutton for punishment yeah <laughs> they uh i would hope have some sort of understanding that hey we may not even see a fish today mm-hmm. if we see one it's a success yeah if you learn something if it's a sec it's a success and if we catch one, it's just a cherry on top. Yeah. A big cherry on top. Yeah, huge one. <laughs> and that's, I, yeah, that's one, that's one thing that keeps me coming back to muskies is it's kind of like, uh, kind of like hunting big whitetails is, you know, you, you may not even see a big whitetail when you're out hunting. And if you see one, you know, through your binocs or down the valley or whatever, it, it's a, it's a bonus, but exactly when you get, get an opportunity to, 
harvest one it's even better yeah and now we were fishing out of your your new boat um you used to have uh tell us about the boat you used to have and kind of how it was perfect for that time of your life that you were using it for yeah so and i still have the boat um it's but, for sale yeah. anybody interested it's for sale yeah definitely for sale um so the boat I had was a, a 16-foot Shawnee power drifter. So it's a it's a tiller handle, um, basically a flat-bottom drift boat um, with a with a big jet motor on it. Um, and it was a, a super great boat for me fishing. Like I, I always say, like if I was just me fishing and I wasn't guiding, um, I would never get rid of that boat because it's a blast. Um, but this season especially. Um, really got into the season and I didn't, I mean, no one expected how low our water was going to get. Um, and it got, it got pretty bad to the point where I was limited to like nine miles of river that I could successfully still fish. Um, and I was, I was hitting boulders with the Shawnee's of fiberglass and I was hitting boulders. I was taking chunks out of it and stuff. And I was like, all right, time, time to stop doing that. And it, I wanted a wider one too. So, um, found a good deal on a uh, a 16 foot g3 jet boat so aluminum um, with a console on it so no tiller and yeah it's been a game changer it's been able to beat the living hell out of it yeah and that's one thing that that's, that i like about my aluminum boat is you can throw it right up on a beach and not worry about what you're gonna hit or yep. um but yeah your boat man it's super comfortable to fish out of yeah, a lot of space, ton of space. A lot of space for your gear, you know, boxes, nets, lunch, all that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. you know, we we didn't need any rain gear today, but there's tons of tons of spots for it. Um, yeah, great boat. Yeah, it's been a game changer. I bet you're pretty happy with it. Loving it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now you're gonna have a few modifications done to it. Yeah. So right now that boat is a side console, um, which is is pretty good. Um, only problem is that the console is a little bit too far back. Um, in a jet, you kind of want most of your weight in the front. Sure. Um, and a, a center console just kind of lets me have clients a little more comfortable, um, lets people move on either side of the console. So this winter, I'm going to be converting it. Um, we're going to rip out the side console, have a center console built, and do a few more odds and ends, but that's You're the big one. You're a custom center console. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. So a little bit higher little bit higher maybe throw a cooler in it or something or yeah yeah Yeah. or some some plano racks or something yeah something for some storage you gotta have a lot of storage in boats it's key oh yeah yeah it's pretty awesome um it uh that boat i was one thing that i was really impressed about was and like david alluded to earlier this year has been a, a crazy year for water we had probably one maybe two probably closer to two weeks one and a half to two weeks of a lot of rain i think down where i live we got five inches in two weeks and it was a lot bumped the rivers up a little bit but other than that it's been things have been pretty low yeah and i certainly didn't expect that the last two years at least on the mississippi river have been just god awful high so learning different tactics on how to get you know fish higher water stuff and um, just reading the water a little bit different you kind of read it the same but just a little bit different in higher water um but yeah that boat that you've got i mean it it's pretty dialed into what 
to this low water scene. Yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, that boat only needs a few inches of water to to keep skimming along. Oh yeah. In a lot of spots, that's that's all we got. There, there was a, one time I looked over the left side and it probably no no more than three inches. Yeah. I didn't hear it hitting the hitting the bottom of the boat, but it I'm, was. I'm sure it was, but. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it was skating right over it, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive. That, man, I like that boat. Yeah, a lot of fun. Pretty, uh, it eliminates quite a bit of stuff that you couldn't get to in a prop. Oh, hugely so. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw that guy out there today running that prop, and yeah, and he was just walking that boat through most of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and he definitely couldn't get up a whole lot past where we saw him. So, yeah, being able to, to get to all that stuff that, like, even guys in drift boats are having to walk their walk their boats through a lot of that stuff. And, yeah. I mean, it's not pretty, but I can definitely get over it. Sure. <laughs> One way or the other. Yeah. Um, and now to get to get to these other spots, what are you, what are you looking for first? We, we talked a little bit about musky fishing, but another one of your favorite species to target is smallmouth. Yeah. And what are you looking for? I mean, are you looking for super skinny stuff in that too? or? Yeah, and smallies are a little different because they, they, unlike muskie, which are going to be super temp specific, um, smallies really aren't as much. Um, the, they'll really kind of start to shut off at kind of that 85 degree water. And okay. if we get 85 degree water, that's that's bad. Yeah. We've had it once this year and I, we weren't fishing for a bit. Um, but smallmouth, yeah, wherever there's... A lot of life in the river so that's uh, in the summer especially that's current spots that's bends in the river um, rock piles rock bars weeds logs I mean you, you kind of get to fish everything I mean today even we saw for a while we were sight fishing smallies and maybe a foot of water on on rock beds and then the other part of the day we caught a few more off of um, big log jams and sand and yep yeah. there were a pile of them stacked on that one log jam yeah that was a good time that's a good one yeah um yeah cool it was a uh, man we had a great day yeah and that's the other thing about the the low water that we've had this year um obviously it's like had a lot of challenges to it but um one huge advantage is that we're seeing stuff that we never would have seen before like pieces of structure okay um so that that one log jam that we stopped at that was kind of pretty far off the bank um definitely not poking out of the water at all still right um but that fish that log jam has produced a ton of fish this year um and now it's marked on all my electronics and boy future years in higher water those little spots are going to be gold mines yeah yeah it's a good point it's a good point yeah so you um fishing in your boat i noticed that you've got just a pile of of flies that you've tied yourself um big ones small ones man there's pretty much a any color you'd want you've got them all yep and now you you tie uh for a few guys yeah yeah can you tell us about that yeah so i um dan um over at musky fool has been has been huge um and he kind of got a couple of my flies in his hands probably early last year um and that guy loves them <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably more than most people well, i think um, most people love them yeah but he really loves them. Yeah. Um, and he had started in a, a musky fly shop, which is now going brick and mortar and is um, being hugely successful. And he he had me do a big order for him to sell through the shop. And they, boy, they went quick. Um, 
and I've been tying tying for just buddies and a bunch of other guys for a long time. But yeah. Kind of going into that full production mode is a different mindset, but um, definitely rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun thing to do, and one you know I've tied a few flies for people that I you know know, you know whether it's my dad's buddies that know I fly fish or some family friends and family relatives and it's tough I, I don't know that i could do it to the scale that you do mm-hmm. and i don't know how you do <laughs> i don't either <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah some of these flies that you tie man are just beautiful what um what are like what, what are a few of your favorite flies to tie not fish but just what are your favorite flies to tie to tie <laughs> clousers um, <laughs> no i i really like the big bucktail stuff okay. um it gets it's harder to really enjoy it when you're doing it in like big quantities like big orders of flies um but i really really love sitting down and just tying like a really big bucktail feather flash fly um how long does it take you to put one of those together you know that kind of depends on the fly um three drinks yeah about three (laughs) drinks (laughs) no they can last um if i'm really really like grinding away at them i can do them in about 45 minutes if i'm kind of taking my time and you know kind of really really going all out on it three three and a half hours usually takes me but there's a few more drinks in there yeah yeah (laughs) some netflix breaks and right right um yeah some of these flies that you tie for muskies especially they're huge yeah they're massive and when would you use a bigger fly like that like a 16 inch fly yeah, the 16s we start breaking out kind of, um, kind of like mid to late September, kind of okay. after the, that like third or fourth cold front in September. Um, sure. Fish really start moving deep. Up until that point, they're just moving shallower and shallower. But as soon as they start getting into those those holes, um, and they'll start really feeding heavily at the heads of those holes. What are they feeding on at that time? Just suckers. Sure. Suckers, walleye. Um, those are going to be the big primary ones. Do you get many perch? Not really. Okay. Um, some of the really lower sections of the St. Croix is more lake-esque fishing. Sure. Um, like and there's, perch there's... are more of a lake bait. Or exactly. Like a lake... Yeah. That's uh, a pretty low system forage or a lake forage. Sure. Um, up on the, the stuff I'm usually fishing, it's it's red horse suckers, hognose suckers, and white suckers. Um, and the occasional walleye, okay. but um, the sucker is such an easy food source for a muskie. Yeah, they're just big, dumb, and well, slow. There's tons of them. Yeah, and a million of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, saw a ton of them today, and it was so many, <laughs> some huge ones too, some as big as your calf. Yeah, I mean, you look at those, and then you look at the fly you're throwing, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> now I got to tie a 24 incher. Yep. Um, <laughs> so that at that time we get to start really throwing those giant flies, and that's a fun bite. Yeah. Um, so what do those flies look like? Yeah, I mean, just like all my flies, it's just bucktail feather flash, but the biggest thing that changes with those flies is just the platform they're tied on. So what you're actually tying that material to. Um, A lot of the musky flies we use up until that point can be tied on hooks, meaning you actually put the hook in the vise and you tie the feathers to it. Similar you would with a trout fly. Exactly. But, I mean, we're using five-out hooks, so pretty big but not massive. Yep. with those really big flies, we start using those. Um, we build our own shanks, so we got like shank builders where we have like stainless steel wire. We twist them up, get all these different lengths and configurations, connect them all, 
and then we tie the bucktail on top of that. Um, okay. That lets us hang treble hooks off of them. Yep. With those really big flies, there's just so much material that tying onto a hook, they just, honestly, they don't make a hook big enough. Sure. Um, so being able to hang treble hooks off of it more like a, a gear bait is a... And the nice part about bending your own shanks is you can bend it, you know, whether you want a shank that's two inches long. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't make any shanks with the, or hooks, I'm sorry, with the, with the, that length. Exactly. Yeah. So or like want... for some of my flies, like the, the mega glider that you can, <laughs> you might be able to buy from, uh, from Dan at Musky Fool. Um, that's a six and a half inch shank on the front. Wow. So it's just one, one massive shank and it's got a big split ring loop built into it. Yep. So you can hang your hooks and yeah. Being able to get creative is pretty huge with those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one that's one cool thing I've that I've noticed about you is from when we were we started fishing you know together a long time ago is just watching the progression of your your tying. And I knew you were a really talented tire back when we had I don't know if you remember we had that one uh, tie off with you and our buddy Jason. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That was it a was fun one. Kind of a neat little tournament we threw together just for just for buds, but it was uh we we had a bunch of ho- hodgepodge of materials and threw out at these guys and said, all right, come up with a fly. And it, this mm-hmm. fly that Dave tied was beautiful, just from this random stack of materials. I think there was some, like, fly foam. Yeah. Or, like, egg foam in there, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, fly, the flies that I've watched Dave tie over the years, I mean, he's, like, he's really dialed it in mm-hmm. to figure out what, you know, to match the hatch of the suckers and match, you know, the what these fish are eating that's yeah. pretty cool i appreciate that um yeah check it out if you ever need any flies tied i don't know how busy you are or how backed up <laughs> you are contact me like december <laughs> i can get them to you by april <laughs> all right there you go yeah um so what that being said what are some like give me three flies if somebody's looking to fill up a musky box give me three different flies that you'd want them to include in their box it's a great that's a great one um you know specifically the flies um i won't get into like super specific names because there's a lot of flies that do the same thing i'll list some sure. but um you need kind of a standard size glide fly meaning like that eight to ten inches what i consider like an eatable size most of the year yep um and a fly that's going to walk the dog so on every strip it's going to shoot side to side it's going to stay relatively high in the water column, depending on what line you put it on. Um, that fly for me, that style of fly, is a massive producer most of the year. Um, some really good patterns. I really like um, Eli Barant ties an Optimus Swine. That's a great smaller version of that mm-hmm. that profile and that um, action. Um, I tie... My kind of glide fly is just called the glider. I didn't feel like coming up with a good name. <laughs> um, and then uh, Eli Brandt also has the, the B1G, um, which is a, an awesome fly. Okay. Um, and both the B1G and the Fusa by him have like a popper body built into them. Yep, so they kind of suspend there, kind of hang yep. uh, in the water column that you're fishing them in. Exactly. Yeah, and those are awesome flies. Um, so a good mid-range, eatable size glide fly. Um, something that's going to walk the dog consistently and just you can cover water with those flies 
Um, after that, especially in the fall, something with weight to it. Okay. Um, that can be like Chris Willen's double nickel that I tie a lot, and you can buy a musky fool. That's an awesome fly. It's got some, some big aluminum eyes in it, so it kind of gets down a little faster. That fly kicks really hard. Um, depending on how you fish it, you can really kind of slow swim it too. Super okay. versatile fly. What kind of line are you uh, fishing that fly with? So I I change my line depending on water levels. Yeah. So like today, with how low it is, we are fishing only intermediate sinking lines. Um, because of how low it is, we just don't have much flow. Yep. So to, like no matter how big a fly you were throwing, because we were throwing the big stuff at that big at that that giant we moved. Yeah. Um, and that was all on just a full intermediate line. Yep. Um, if we got high water, then I'll start throwing some some full sink lines and some some bigger stuff. Okay. But, um, yeah. So fly with weight to it, and then for any of these flies, match your line to your water conditions. Okay. Yep. Um, so fly with weight to it. Willen's double nickel. Um, I tie one called the deep dancer. That's just essentially a big big jig fly. Yep. Um, I've got a couple of those in my box that you tied for me. Yeah, they work. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the fall. Um, and then you can get real crazy, like Luke Swanson over at um, Living the Dream has one he calls the uh, the Fly Dusa after the Medusa, okay. uh, big rubber bait. That's a cool fly. Uh, that's got a whole bunch of lead up in the head of it. It's got three big curly tails coming off the back, and um, those, especially late fall, can be can be huge. And then the last one I would say is just something giant. Okay. Um, and there's, you know, it's hard to find a lot of flies for sale that are that big. Um, the mega glider that I tie is, is a massive, massive fly. Um, and why would you go big? Because especially for those big fish, um, I mean, a big fish wants a big meal. Yep. You know, that's like a 50-inch fish. That's a massive amount of animal to get moving for a meal yep. like just them chasing something down takes a lot of calories so if they're gonna do it they make it worth they're gonna chase something sure. big and there's times where they might pick off a couple smaller things but if you're really hunting a fish that size especially in the fall a big fly is going to produce much much more than than kind of that eight to ten inch range for a, for big fish specifically makes sense um and like I said, those really big flies are hard to come by in terms of buying one. Um, if you want to do that style of fishing, I recommend you just start tying your own. You know, play with a ton of hook combinations. Just make it big, bigger than 15 inches. Yep. Yep. So, and most of these flies, if you use, if you buy a bunch of bucktail, you're in mm -hmm. pretty good shape. Yeah. Learn how to, you know, learn how it works in your hands learn how it spins on the hook exactly. learn how you can manipulate it on the hook or shank because mm -hmm. um, a lot of those flies i mean like you see a really good fly and you're like that looks like a really good fly if you throw a ton of bucktail on a hook and you put it in the water it it still looks pretty good yeah i mean bucktail in the water will do what it does yeah. and that's flow naturally and blend with everything around it and and the best and the nicest part about bucktails I like it is it keeps that profile too. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what they want to see. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to you don't want a big snake moving through no. the water. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> they eat snakes. So um I guess we'll kind of switch gears here. Yeah. 
uh, it was yourself, our buddy Norm, and our other good buddy Raj. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with yeah. this here. And we were on a trip on, on one of your home waters. This is kind of a, a sponsored guided tri- <laughs> trip that you took us on. Maybe a charity case, I don't know. Yeah, you could call it that. <laughs> and uh, we had planned on, on floating down 32 miles or so. Too many. Camping camping in between mm-hmm. and making this kind of like a three-day fishing trip. Just enough to get away from home and not miss it too much. But um, partway through the trip, well, I guess we should back up to the, the, the beginning of this trip. Yeah. Do you I remember forgot that about st- that part. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that storm? Yeah, that was a that was a nasty one. We got caught in this storm. It was like a severe thunder. I'm not kidding you guys. It was a severe thunderstorm. And the rain was coming down in just sheets. We watched this wall cloud come from miles away and finally we quit fishing and pulled over and kind of weathered it out on this island and for hours. Probably 3 hours at least, yeah. And at one point this lightning cracked probably 250 yards just downstream of us and it just rattled us yeah i mean you could feel that lightning bolt strike and hit that tree deep into your chest yeah that was was, i didn't like that one (laughs) a little too close for comfort but way too close (laughs) the the part about that that makes me laugh is we were just kind of sitting there we had rain here on but we were soaked yeah soaked right through and our buddy norm (laughs) I don't know if he wasn't expecting any rain at that on that trip or what his deal was, but he just had a light little rain jacket. Yep. Like my lead. my backup. <laughs> <laughs> and no rain bottoms, but just shorts. Yep. Patagonia baggies. <laughs> and the bugs just carried him away. Oh, yeah. That guy's legs after that, it looked like he, like he just got dropped off in a mosquito aviary, like atrium. Yeah. yeah. It was. Bad. It was bad. Felt bad for the guy. <laughs> We were all sitting around in our Gore-Tex, staying relatively dry. And there he was, just suffering. Poor army over there. A lot of Type Two fun on that <laughs> on, on that island. That was definitely Type Two. But later, so we weathered out the storm. Um, it passed probably like we said in three hours, and we finally found the camp that we were looking for, maybe a quarter mile downstream. Yeah. But at that time, it was so dark, and the rain was coming down so hard, we couldn't we couldn't see it. I mean, there was that much, the rain was coming down that hard. Mm-hmm. So storm passed, found our campsite, camped for the night, fished the entire next day. I think Norm and I were in my boat, and we only moved one fish. Mm-hmm. You and Raj caught a few good smallmouth that time. Yeah, we found some nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. But then the meat and potatoes of this story comes <laughs> when we finally found this campsite, we were uh, a potential campsite we were going to stay at. So we pulled over, kind of beached our boats, went up to kind of check it out. We were walking back down to get our gear from the boats to bring it back up to the campsite. Mm-hmm. And that's when Dave decided he was going to lock horns with me. <laughs> there was some whiskey involved in that decision. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So we locked horns and uh, kind of, it was. it's kind of like... Uh, Kind of like when you watch the Packers versus the Vikings, <laughs> and the Vikings are making a goal line push, and the Packers just are trying to defend their goal line, and they got to do whatever move they can. 
Sometimes. Well, I took you down once before this. We won't talk about that one, but. <laughs> so, somehow or another, we got tangled up, and and Dave's, Dave, well, I fell on Dave's leg. Yeah, there was a sequence of events with a hole I stepped in, and some, yeah, bad situation. Yeah. Um, so, how far back into the, into this, I mean, it, we were pretty remote. Yeah, I mean, none of us had cell service. Luckily, Raj had his sat phone with him. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it happened so fast. All I remember is just like a big pop. Um, and then just like searing pain up the leg. I remember looking down and like my pants were bulging out to the side. Yep. Like kind of to my left side. It was on my left leg and they were bulging out to the left side. Um, couldn't feel my foot, couldn't move my foot couldn't move my leg at all yeah um, the part that scared me the most was the lack of mobility in your foot yeah and the lack of sensation that you had in your foot yeah nothing and the lack of pulse that you had in your foot <laughs> yeah which was probably the biggest thing that scared me yeah and looking back i mean we got we got lucky you got lucky <laughs> <laughs> i got lucky real lucky yeah. um so what ended up happening yeah was uh well, tell us about the injury yeah so it's it's the same injury that teddy bridgewater had when he was playing for the vikings yep. um incredibly rare it just it doesn't happen because it shouldn't happen it's one of those injuries where like it has to be the exact amount of force in the exact right spot and your knee has to be in the exact right position and everything blows out okay um so i completely tore my ACL, my PCL, uh, my IT band, uh, my perennial nerve, um, partially ruptured an artery in the back of my knee, just a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, but the scariest part about that whole thing was, was right after it happened, my, so essentially the, the entire knee was dislocated, where like the, my kneecap was kind of up into my quad area and my tibia was kind of up over the top of my femur um when that happens that big artery that's in the back of your knee gets like completely pinched yep. hence no no pulse. no pulse um and what can happen is usually or usually when that injury occurs that artery gets ruptured um so luckily Raj had a sat phone contact, and he's a surgeon, so he contacted his orthopedic surgeon buddy, kind of got some info from him. His buddy was basically like, no idea. Yeah. Because you just he, don't see these injuries. He was kind of walking walking him through it, and he mm -hmm. had kind of a good idea. We both had kind of a good idea what we kind of needed to do. Yeah. Obviously, it was dislocated. Yeah, big time. Neither in Raj or I or Norma, you have x-ray vision yet, so we couldn't see if anything was broken, but we yeah. knew we had to reduce it. Yeah, and that that was probably the worst part of the whole the whole injury was was having to tell you and Norm to, to hold me down and have Raj, Raj yank on the leg. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a belt belt getting bit down on, but yeah. um, thankfully it took one try. And from what we hear, what Raj told us, it, it slid back pretty easily. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, I mean, that's where it wanted to be. Yeah, you know, exactly. Your knee wants to be where it wants to be. Um, and then after that, man, that's that's where the luck really began because that artery 
Like it was partially ruptured, not enough to do any damage because we we couldn't get out that day. Um, so we ended up sleeping at that campsite yep. overnight um, and and just booking ass in the morning. Um, you went right into the emergency room and kind right of in, looked at. Yeah, and uh, you know, going back to how rare of an injury it is, we I went into the emergency room, and the doc on on hand there would like kind of X-rayed it but you're not going to see ligament damage from an x-ray. So he x-rayed it. There were no broken bones or anything. So he was like, yeah, I think you're fine. Like he thought I dislocated my, my patella, which is not a serious injury. Yep. Um, and I was like, well, I can't feel my foot still. So something's going on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anyway, so there was like a, there was a month or probably two weeks there where I was going back and forth between different doctors and specialists. And eventually I was like, all right, enough is enough. We're gonna go to, like, the guy. Yeah. Went to. You had an MRI, or did he maybe recommend that you have an MRI? Or... There was, there was a whole sequence of panicky events there where, where that doctor like told me I should get an MRI, but then didn't order one. Sure. And then I went home and then got a call and was like, we need to make sure that artery isn't bleeding so you don't lose your leg. Okay. Um, but anyway, like after that all, after they figured out I wasn't. Like, I didn't damage the artery seriously. I wasn't going to lose the leg. Um, then there was a sequence of events of, like, finding the right surgeon. Yeah. Got super lucky. My mom's a physical therapist, and she was kind of able to pull some strings. Um, and it ended up, I mean, it was a massive surgery. Um, but we had the guy for it, and yeah, he did a fantastic job. And probably the coolest part of that whole experience is when you were sitting on your exercise bike. Yeah riding your bike next to dalvin cook yep exactly yeah um yeah the place i went to was the uh the twin so it's twin cities orthopedics um but it was in their vikings training facility branch yeah so like i would go to go to pt for a while and get all these crazy high test like high tech tests done and stuff and i'd be on an exercise bike warming up for these tests and like some some vikings player would come and sit next to me <laughs> Awesome. I'm just some some idiot fishing guy sitting there. <laughs> you probably should have passed out a few business cards at that point. <laughs> probably. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, that's all right. Man, that I and obviously I felt super bad. You know, ne- you know, roughhousing with one of your buddies, you never intend for something like that ha- that like that to happen. And boy, it changed the whole move of that trip pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, real quick. And like I said, it's just. I mean, obviously, you did nothing wrong. I mean, we're still hanging out. (laughs) You did nothing wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. It was just one of those crazy one-in-a-million freak accidents. Um, But, yeah, eight months of physical therapy four times a week. Yeah. Now you're back. Back running around. You back to 100%? Yeah, probably more than 100%. The last time I went to to PT, they they ran some tests, and I was like 30% stronger than I was before. So. You know? This is probably good I did that to you. Yeah. <laughs> this is making you stronger. I think it'll turn out well, and I've got some, <laughs> some sweet scars for a story. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of those scars and injury, you you had contacted your girlfriend right away. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. was pretty... Oh, she was worried. Was she in Hawaii at the time? Um, yeah, she was still. Um, yeah, so she was in Hawaii, and I basically just... When, as soon as we got service, I texted her, and I was like, this was before we really knew what happened, but I was just like, dislocated my knee, can't walk, can't feel my foot. Yeah. 
Of course, she replied and was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You can't just send that in the text. Um, And my mom had a similar reaction, but um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a whole process and it, it was relieving finding out exactly what I had done and very concerning figuring out exactly what I had done. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. So. So now she, she was in Hawaii. Yep. When did you go down there to visit her? Was that after or before? It must have had to have been before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right before. Um, or not right before, but um, probably four or five months before. Yep. Um, so this was like 2020. Yep. February or March. must have been March or mm-hmm. April. It was, oh boy, beginning of March. Okay. Because yeah, it was my spring break, right before COVID hit. Kind of when the shit was hitting the fan in terms yeah. of covid yeah because i remember i bought the tickets um she had been out there for for five months at this point so i was i mean there was no way i was canceling the trip um but i remember going out there or like looking at my flight and like looking at the news and it was like flights being canceled everywhere and i remember kind of just being like whatever like i'm just gonna go for it yep um all I packed was just like my my Yeti Panga backpack with like some like two t-shirts, a pair of shorts, and a ton of fly fishing <laughs> gear and a camera. Um, flew out there like two days after I got there. It was like every flight shut down. I was supposed to be there a week. Every flight shut down. Restaurant shut. Everything just locked down. Um, so I ended up spending, boy, I think it was like a month and a half. In paradise. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a horrible scenario oh, to be awful. locked up in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just got to hang out for a month and a half. I was lucky enough to uh, to meet up with some, some guides down there. Uh, Jeremy Inman, um, who guides on Oahu. I, we were on Oahu. Um, who guides on Oahu for bonefish and spends the other half of his year up in Bristol Bay. Um, met up with him, and he was out of work because no one was flying in, obviously. And yep. Boy, we just fished every day. Just nonstop, hopping his skiff and go catch a pile of bonefish and drank too many Coronas, and it was a good time. Man, it sounds like a blast. Yeah, we had a good time. You really made the best out of a, a worst-case scenario there. Yeah, and I, I, I genuinely feel bad telling that story sometimes because I know there are people really struggling through that <laughs> and losing their jobs, and I have clients who are like, ask me about when that hit, and I'm like, I was... Boy, I was bone fishing in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> hanging out with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating fresh seafood. And exactly. Yeah. Going it on was, beautiful hikes. It was pretty perfect. Oh man, that sounds great. A lot of people, a lot of people would dream of that type of, you know, like one of my dream destinations for fly fishing was Hawaii. That's why my wife went. Not, that's not, not why my wife and I went there, but it was a definitely plus when we went there for our honeymoon. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I guess we went there for my, our honeymoon, and the first day we got there, first full day we got there, I went, I went bone fishing. Yeah, you went with, with ET, I think. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, and it was great. Yeah, was successful. I learned a lot. Nice. So what you know, and I'm sure that was probably on your your bucket list of places to go visit. Oh, too. hugely. Yeah. yeah, those giant bones out there. They don't make them bigger anywhere else. Yeah, crazy big. You you I, the one day you sent you were sending us videos of a ten pounder you caught. Yeah, it was at least at least at the very least it was eight. Um, but I mean every day Jeremy and I were out, I feel like we were seeing 
and we kind of hit it right on the transition of like the winter season in Hawaii where you don't see many bonefish, but if you do, they're going to be the eight pounders or sure. the 12 pounders or the, the ocean run fish. Um, at towards the end of my visit, that kind of summer run or spring run started coming in. So we we're getting those rat packs of like two pounders. Sure. But yeah, man, the size of the fish out there. So that, like I mentioned before, that was on my bucket list. Yeah. What are some fish or trips that are on the top of your bucket list? Boy, I, I got a real burning desire to go um, do the Mongolian taimans. Okay. Um, just because it, it, it's basically musky fishing, but for somehow a bigger fish. Um, you know, the, the same kind of pursuit where, like, you're not going to catch a whole bunch of them. But, like, you got a shot at, like, a, an absolute monster. Wow. Yeah. Um, what would be a big taimans? Honestly, I don't know. 50 um, inches? Way bigger. Really? Like, I'm pretty sure they get, like, absolutely massive. Kind of dwarf they, the muskies. And they look like a trout. Yeah, they're a big salmonoid. Um, okay. So they're essentially the largest salmon in the world. Okay. Um, but they, they eat these, I forget the name of the, the, the smaller trout that they eat, but they eat a, a very big meal. Okay. Um, so you're throwing musky flies for them. Like, I know Norm tied a couple for... Uh, for a couple of the emotive fishing guys when they did their trip out sure. there and yeah so it's musky fishing but for a giant salmon that'd be a blast yeah anything else on your radar um rooster fish i've wanted to do for a long time and then kind of the whole amazon scene like the peacocks the arapaima yep that whole that whole adventure sounds pretty sweet it does yeah and more bonefish and more bonefish yeah which, which we I... got a yeah we got a trip coming up yeah, I'm excited about that. That's gonna be a good one. Yeah, out to Bahamas. Yep, we'll have to we'll have to revisit that maybe on a future podcast. Yeah, get I mean, our buddy Raj on here. I think we'll definitely have to. That'll be that. Maybe I'll bring all this stuff down there. and We can do it there. There we go. Yeah. All right, it's a plan. Get Tommy T in on that one. Cool. <laughs> so, um, everybody, everybody who fly fishes has to kind of start from somewhere. Yeah. And I remember, you know, kind of, kind of going through that that phase with you. Um, obviously, you were a, a different different level than I was. I was kind of still learning things. But if you, any listeners out there, if you could, if you could recommend, maybe like a species to start fishing for. Mm-hmm. Somebody who wants to get into fly fishing, thinks it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So I. You know, anytime, like, someone thinks of fly fishing, they're going to go for the, like, I need to go book a guide trout fishing. Like, that's going to teach me all I need to know. I'm a huge believer in that that is the absolute wrong way to do it. I think trout fishing is really awesome once you have the basics of fly fishing down. Once you can cast, once you can mend your line, once you can control your line once you know how to fight a fish and once you kind of know the basics of how to present a fly i think trout fishing is awesome okay and you can learn a ton of skills once you start trout fishing in terms of just getting started i don't think there's a better way to do it than catching bass or bluegill and bass can be smallmouth or largemouth depending on what like whatever fishery is accessible to you okay um and then bluegill are just a fantastic way to learn because it if you can get out there and this is without a guide if you can get out there 
and throw whatever fly at fish and see how they respond to it, see how they eat it, and figure out what you need to do to get fish to eat. Um, and then how to play a fish and how to strip, how to, how to fight a fish and how to land it. Trout fishing becomes a heck of a lot easier. Sure. Um, I've seen a lot of people where, you know, their, their first introduction to fly fishing is they, they book a trout guide, they go out to a stream, and the trout guide's like, all right, and I, I guide trout, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, but there's no other option where, like, here's a nymph rig, there's two very heavy nymphs on it and a big indicator and two split shots that's what's going to catch fish today now try and cast that yeah it's very hard um and it can be rewarding but i've also seen it be incredibly frustrating whereas if you're getting frustrated catching bluegill then the sport maybe just isn't for you sure but i keep trying exactly yeah um and it's a way to keep trying that doesn't cost a ton of money it's not super complicated you can just go out and do it and learn a ton yeah so fast bluegill Go to a pond, go to wherever is closest to you. Spend a ton of time out there. So what would some of those flies look like for bass and bluegill? You know, just like hoppers, little streamers, clousers, deceivers, bass pop, you know, whatever. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Um, just go to your fly shop, buy a ton of flies, head to a pond and start playing. Sure. Yeah. And what, would, uh, what rod would you bring with you? nine foot five weight okay yeah the classic the classic trout rod um i think a nine foot five weight and a nine foot eight weight until you want to start really pursuing something a little crazier will do everything you need it to do i agree yep um yeah and would you use floating line intermediate floating floating yep um floating on both um that will let you especially if you start with floating then you kind of start really figuring out how to control your line. Um, I think giving someone a, a, a full sync line with their first few fly rods is going to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you can play with your leader length, too. Exactly. If you need to get down, just make a longer leader. Yep, and that's all part of the, the figuring out the basics that you don't get with trout fishing is just like how to get deeper without changing your line, how to get deeper without adding split shot, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's how I got started in it, too, was just wading out in the lakes, catching, we caught bluegills and crappies. Yeah. Back in high school, it was fantastic table fare, too. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It is. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best eating fish out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. That's a good one. So we're getting towards the end of her here, Dave, and one of the questions I always like to ask my guests is, can you tell me about a time when you were outside in your case probably fishing mm-hmm. <laughs> when time was just standing still boy that happened this year um i mean there's been a lot of times with you and norm and a lot of a lot of good fishing buddies where it's just been a special moment um but this year so the first like i moved into this this place in st paul um new fisher well, relatively new fishery i've been fishing it since i grew up but um I had a couple of my, my like really close buddies from college come up for a weekend and it was my roommate for the last five years. And then, um, one of my really close buddies, um, and they both came up and, you know, we were, we planned on fishing, but it was kind of one of those trips where like, we're just gonna, 
I'm like we got we got way too banged up at a fire every night <laughs> you know <laughs> didn't get out on the water too yeah. early and it was it was a blast but we um it was the july 3rd and i i brought us to a section that i in hindsight i shouldn't have and i knew at the time i shouldn't have either um because it's just a like a big kayak hatch section okay like we got on there and it was especially july 4th weekend oh you could have walked across there and it's a big river you could have walked across that river on kayaks um but we did what we could there was a, a ticket from the dnr for making a wake in there but um yeah we got to the and but we were still fishing tactically or trying to where we were water was hot so we were fishing fishing springs and creek mouths and seeps like we had talked about earlier um and i made one cast on a spot and this is what we're surrounded by boy 20 kayaks on all <laughs> sides of us some guy fishing from the bank i casted probably way too close to his bait um and i was fishing gear for muskie at this time and um made a couple cranks with a big set of big set of blades on a bucktail and uh 51 came out and just demolished it wow like just one of the bigger and because my pb is 52 but that 51 dwarfed that fish really massive head massive body um got a good set on it fish fought crazy hard for a 51 um, those really big fish, especially midsummer, they tend to kind of just, you know, you know, you hook them and they kind of float in. Um, that one did not stop fight until it was in the net. Um, landed it, got the hook out quick, quick cell phone picture that many, probably most people won't see, um, and released her and she swam away strong. And I've actually moved that fish again. So really, yep. Um, that was a special moment seeing being with two two of my closest buddies in a time it shouldn't have happened and seeing that fish shoot out of nowhere right under the surface big glide eat you know it's just one of those one of those like moments in my brain that is just locked in yeah yeah never gonna forget that one man yeah that sounds incredible yeah and i remember releasing that fish just holding the tail of it reviving her a little bit just hands shaking arms shaking you know just a just a mess <laughs> and this is somebody who sees muskies every damn near every day yeah and that that was a special fish and that one had you rattled yeah that's cool yeah that was an awesome one definitely a time when it everything was standing still i would imagine you had some had some cheers <laughs> <laughs> after catching that sucker <laughs> Yeah, I think the dude on the bank who was fishing asked what it was, and I think I said Northern Pike or something. But um, yeah, there were a lot of people, a lot of people in those kayaks around us asking asking what we just caught and stuff. Yeah. And I don't think I was in a great mental state at that point, so I think I just kept saying Northern Pike and, <laughs> and got out of there pretty quick. But um, man, that's yeah, cool. That was a special one. Man, that's that's the kind of stuff that keeps you coming back. Yeah, the time. hard days when you're just pounding water and it's pretty thankless. You yeah, nothing's going your way. Getting yelled at by kayakers, getting yelled at by the DNR. You wonder why you do it. Yep, that's why. Yep. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that was huge. And I'm glad that they, you know, those buddies of yours got to share that experience with you too. Yeah, that and was I special. Bet Jack, he's a, a standout guy. He's re literally rescued me on the water. <laughs> that's well, right. Not yeah. on the water, but. My Damn truck man. broke down and needed, needed a rescue. We took him out fishing that day, but 
just a standout guy. And uh, I'm glad you got the experience with those guys, too. That's pretty yeah, cool. That was real special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I've got uh, just one more segment. Okay. And I like to do it with my guests here, too. It's just kind of rapid fire, this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of would you rather type questions. And I think I know the answer to some of these, but I don't know that. I don't know that my guests will. Mm-hmm. So let's get it's maybe a dozen questions or so. Let's so let's uh, let's dive in here. Sweet. So whatever comes to mind. Okay. This first one I think is pretty easy. Okay. Jet boat or prop? Oh, jet. <laughs> River or lake? River. Dry fly or nymph? Nymph. Really? Controversial answer, but yeah. All nymph. right. Bananas allowed or not allowed on your on your boat? Bring them. Doesn't matter. <laughs> That's some pretty. We'll com- work. We'll work around That's it. That's confident. Yeah. Deep dish or thin crust? Thin crust, bar style. Yeah. Smallmouth or musky? Musky. Flashy or natural? Natural. Glide or walk? Is there a both answer to that? Probably. <laughs> no, probably glide other. though. All right. <laughs> Synthetic or bucktail? Bucktail. Hard water or winter trout stream? Boy, hard water. Love my walleye. Ned rig or tequila? <laughs> Ned. <laughs> Crocs or chocos? Um, Crocs. And this one comes from our regular guest, Norm. Oh, boy. Fly or gear? Oh, I knew that one was coming. Um, lately? Gear. All right. Yeah. Well, Dave, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking me out today, too. It was a blast. Oh, happy to do it. I'm uh, I'm sure this won't be our last time talking on this deal here. So Yeah, definitely not. I'm looking forward to see how the latter half of your season goes and how, how here and how the fall goes. So Yeah, appreciate it, man. Should be a good one.